In this episode of the FlickLab International Film Podcast, the two media pros, Kari and Henrik, clung their teeth into Jurassic Park slash world franchise as a whole and asked the question, why do the Jurassic movies no longer hold the same appeal? Or in other words, what went wrong in these movies? Or if we should be so blunt, why do the Jurassic movies suck? More on that after this intro. I wanted it to be put on the official record that I did not want to be here today. We are a glutton for punishment. <laughs> this this most definitely feels like a punishment. <laughs> Welcome to the Flick Lab. Yeah. I'm Corri. I have the title of a media assistant. Henrik is my co-host. He studies in the University of Lapland. Uh, will be a Master of Arts someday. Lives in... In the Lapland, as it happens, <laughs> and <laughs> we're both from Finland. I'm currently working in the IT in the Philippines. We're probably the only international cinema podcast made in Finland. We're happy that you're here, dear listener. We have decided to watch a lot of bad films, Henrik. <laughs> the last time we changed the format a little bit in this podcast, that's when we discussed the Jurassic Park slash the world franchise. And now we're back. We're going to touch a little bit on Dominion. But like I said, we're going to stick on this main question here. What the hell happened to Jurassic movies? And it's kind of simple que- question to answer because the answer is nothing, actually. All right. The remarkable thing here is exactly how little actually happened to Jurassic movies at any given point. The, the main focus here, of course, is, is going to be Jurassic World Dominion. The long-awaited 45 years in the making sequel to the previous locust movie masterpiece, Exorcist 2: The Heretic. Now with even bigger locusts. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about the better movie. but <laughs> uh, I, I found quite a bit of different points that we could discuss around the, the entire franchise. Uh, as I said, I'm a glutton for punishment, <laughs> and I did re-wa- re-watch the, all the films in the franchise. It's not all bad, but uh, mostly it's it's pretty bad. Anything where you want to start this from? Well, if we start with the main question here, card already, like what changed in Jurassic movies? Maybe if, I, if I'll start with... The family aspect of of these films, because the, the the first original movie it was strongly about a dinosaurs, not only dinosaurs but family aspect, which is somehow really important, o- almost like an obsessive compulsive story element for Spielberg. Somehow it's not a Spielberg movie if you don't have the family aspect, for whatever reason. <laughs> Being Jewish is not a reason, but. It seems to me that he thinks that there is no proper story without the family aspect. It's like you can't have interesting and engaging characters without family, kids, and breeding, really. 
he he probably thinks that's the easiest way to put together like an engaging story, like the kind of the easiest way to put together an engaging story and sympathetic characters. It's also something something that you can easily write in your script for those transition scenes. For the first movie, all of the dancing, it, it seems to work really well. It doesn't always work in the first film. It's it's far from a perfect movie. Like For example, the inciting incident, it takes about an hour before it shows itself. Though, understandable, Jurassic Park has a lot of exposition shit to do. It's about an hour mark when Nedry tries to deliver the samples. and But on the, until that moment, we've been looking at empty cages of dinosaurs and investigating dinosaur turd. It has nothing more to you for you to show it except the kind of impressive dinosaur puppet. So a lot of time is just taken to show off with the dinosaur tech. What does the family mean for our new characters? For example, Owen and Claire. No idea. Oh, well, the, kind of the same thing they meant in the original Jurassic Park. Kind, kind of, but the, it's like a lackluster edition. They try the character development where she doesn't know how to approach the kids, then she starts caring about them later. But it comes off as like she doesn't know how to approach them and she doesn't care about them. And then the script kind of doubles down on that, really, because the kids, they are seeking actively for a shelter from the Alpha Man, played by Chris Pratt, instead of from Claire. So that's kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah, but that's kind of the, that's the on, only difference between Jurassic World 1 and Jurassic Park. Like, the core conceit, once again, is remarkably samey. You have a character who does not want kids and tries to actively ignore them and avoid spending time with them, only for the brats to get into a danger, after which the uninterested parental figure starts to worry about them and seeks ways to spend time with them, and at the end of the day, he or she just accepts that kids are okay and there is something in the family unit. Yeah, there there is that, but, well, if we think about Claire as a character, there's just no reconciling the bad sides of Claire. Claire, to me, is, is kind of the villain of the films, because she is established as somebody who truly doesn't care about kids, and when they're trying to turn it on its head, kind of, we are supposed to, you know, as an audience, to understand that this character is gonna turn around and she has a good side, blah blah blah, but the, but the kids even don't agree with that. And Claire is just, you know, le- left on the sidelines, and I never truly buy that she turns into such of a moral and nice character, <laughs> because she's all about business, and then suddenly, not so much. And she makes an organization to protect the dinosaurs. Yeah, so with Claire, they take Grant from the original one, and they split him into two. They take the whole character, finds a way to be with kids, and they throw out the action guy hero stuff and put that on Chris Pratt, and instead they take Hammond from the first one and, you know, fuse that with I don't wanna be with kids side, and therefore you have... Claire in the end. So Claire basically is a, is a hybrid. Half Grant, half Hammond. And in both cases, the character finds a way to actually accept and be with kids through kids that are not actually his own. 
Yeah, but there is something about the, the character development that we can discuss later on. It just is. It just doesn't work anywhere near as well as in in the first one. And kind of like I've been saying, I still don't think that Jurassic Park is in any way a perfect movie. But it does have much more things to discuss than the later sequels. Some of them don't have anything to say about anything. But well, basically, the sequels don't have anything to say about anything. Yeah, pretty much. One of the good things about the first Jurassic Park is, for example, the moral questions. Like, they, they are there kind of strongly. The first Jurassic Park is asking the question, should we? Should we do the Jurassic Park? Should we play God? These are the questions about morality and 65 million years separating humans and dinosaurs. That's fucking. That's interesting. The whole discussion o- over the dinner with I am Malcolm, Ellie, Grant, and the pesky lawyer Hammond. That's kind of almost single-handedly. It's one of the freaking highlights of the series. There's a lot there to unpack. But anyway, maybe we should discuss about the tactile dimension of the film, because there's a whole kind of tactile dimension to Spielberg's direction here. He brings us. Along to this ride, he wants us to feel like we're part of the action, right? There's this show-don't-tell moments. Like, why does he use so much time to show Alan Grant how he's figuring out the intricate workings of a belt buckle? Why are people touching things and dinosaurs? And why are dinosaurs sneezing on people? Why is there modern rain and why are people in it? Why are dinosaurs touching fences, velociraptors appearing from under a plastic sheet, things like that? It's for all for that kind of a tactile dimension to kind of make you feel more connected to the environment. But there's even more that makes the first Jurassic Park great, if you want to bear with me here. Okay, by all means, go, go ahead. My or- counter-argument is, go- is going to be that Jurassic World, the first one, is going to attempt to do the exact same bloody thing. It's going to attempt that, that's for sure. Uh, the, the execution might be something to question here. Then there is the awe factor of Jurassic Park. The dinosaurs, they were a new thing. Uh, Spielberg made his original film. It was kind of a life-altering cinema experience in the sense that you had never seen anything like that before. You had seen, seen some CGI, but not in this way. And maybe like in showing the natural world this well. To see all those dinosaurs come alive, blah, blah, blah. It was like a neat tightrope dance between the CGI side of things and then the animatronics all coming together. Everybody knows that. Spared no explains. <laughs> and it feels very visceral. There's this um, contrast between Hammond and Hammond's employees, which are kind of nonchalant about the whole dinosaurs, because they've been exposed to the dinosaurs already. And then there's the visitor's side, their sense of awe. The employees are like, we're doing this every day. Kind of the visitors are the audience side. We take their kind of awe into us. Then the slowly the awe turns into terror. And of course, I'm not saying that Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World, the first one, and the Jurassic World 3, and kind of writer of all of them in some capacity, I, I'm not making the claim that he doesn't understand these things, or that he doesn't understand the Spielberg recipe. I'm, I'm kind of saying that he's trying to emulate the Spielberg recipe, but he just 
cannot do it the same way. But sticking sticking with the awe of dinosaurs, why then is it that you don't actually fear the awe in, for example, Jurassic World movies? Because once again, like if if we take it from the technical side of things, the CGI has only gotten better in in these films. The, the CGI in Jurassic Worlds is leagues above what the CGI was in first Jurassic Park. And mm-hmm. just like the, the original, the first Jurassic Park, also Jurassic World Dominion uses practical dinos as well. So it's also, once again, it's a mishmash, it's a fusion of practical effects and even better CGI. Well, the reason, Henrik, is that because the first Jurassic Park movie was kind of a lightning in a bottle, right? Like once it's out, mm-hmm. it's it's gone. First it's the ooh, ah, and that's how it always starts. But then you have just actually kind of like Malcolm says it, you have all you have left after that is just running and screaming and retconned cloned kids who are not actually cloned and, and giant locusts and things like that. But if you have to keep making these sequels, then, you know, the recipe is not to make beautiful-looking dinosaurs, simply. Like, I think there's four main elements to these movies. Like, first one is, the dinosaurs are your antagonists, not your fucking friends. Uh, Secondly, humans are their food. Number three, some of the humans must be kind of likable, but not more likable than the dinos, because the dinos are the main attraction here. And four, you must have some new philosophic points or some moral questions. And you got a you got a home run. You got a winner. Well, with that, like even even in the first Jurassic Park, only a handful of dinos really were antagonists. You you had your T-Rex, which kind of changes. Is is she gonna be an antagonist or is she gonna be the the saving? Jesus figure of the film and then you have your your velociraptors and yeah. in much in the same way you kind of have just handful of antagonist dinosaurs in the sequels most of the dinos in in all Jurassic movies are either harmful and kind of oblivious of, of your existence and they just don't care that you are there or they act downright friendly and the side of the dinos which act like a threat or act like an antagonist it pretty much are like the, the exact same dinos you you may code it into a different name like indominus rex basically t-rex or you can have the gigantosaurus that you have in dominion Basically, it's just a T-Rex with a different nose. Or you can have whatever it was in, in Jurassic Park 3. Basically, yeah. a th- T-Rex with a different nose. And then you have some, some raptor shit here. Okay, what I'm going for here is more like the Mr. Handman, Chris Pratt's character. I kind of call him the Handman because of obvious mm-hmm. reasons. He tries to kind of humanize and make a humanized connection with the animals like in the Spielberg versions for example they were just animals doing their animal thing and and there was no none of these moments where you would see Velociraptor somehow showing emotional attachment to Chris 
Pratt's character, and they goddamn overplay in the Jurassic World movies the whole thing. They they kind of do, but at the same time they still try to make the case that the Velociraptors are still first and foremost they are threat and. At best, they are kind of unreliable friend. Like, Brad's character, Owen, basically, like, like yeah, 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 he has that, that training aspect of with the Velociraptors. But at the same time, all these three movies are at the, tries to argue that the bond that he makes with the raptors is kind of a lucid one. When he's training the raptors in Jurassic World, first, the first one, he acts kind of like, I don't know what's going to happen, I try to be alpha, but it's a really tight rope dance. He opposes the idea of, of letting the raptors free to, to chase the carnivorous rex because the raptors are unreliable and the raptors turn against the humans in the... Lost Kingdom, the main horror movie villain dinosaur at the second half of the film is basically a raptor in, in Dominion. When Blue's kid gets taken, Brad is like, I don't know how I can even reconcile with Blue over here. But oh my god, Blue acts hostile against everyone. He, he gets that, that some kind of a kata on his hand or, or something like that. So basically the films, even though they, they do kind of humanize the raptors, but they still try to play, they play it like it's a, it's a really tightrope dance and the raptors can turn against you at any moment. And because of that, you should still be kind of afraid of the raptors. Mm, if I expand on that a little bit more, maybe what is... The most heinous about the whole relationship is the first Jurassic World's ending, where it seems that Velociraptors are now making some kind of a deal with Chris Pratt's character that because you have been my master, then all right, I'm going to bite into Rexy and fight the war with you. Or when we have the moment when the battle is over and the Indominus Rex has been beaten, then T-Rex and Velociraptor have a common understanding that, okay, thanks buddy, and we go separate ways. Yeah, of, of course they do ha- have the common understanding. They are, they are legacy dinosaurs of the franchise. <laughs> and, and that's what, what this franchise really is about, if about anything. It's about Call bringing the, the, the old dinos, the exact same bloody T-Rex. I mean, it's the same T-Rex from the first Jurassic Park, even. Uh, yeah. And, and they just keep, like, the franchise just keeps on bringing the, 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 the same dinos with this idea that, you know, because it's the dino from the first one, or because it's a similar dino from the first one, there is some type of a real versus fake, original versus artificial aspect to it, and the, the real and the original can have this this joint understanding of what should and what, what should not be, mm. e- even though... When logically looking at it, they are all fake dinos. Every single one of them. Rexy T-Rex is there to save the day too many times in the endings of these movies. In Fallen Kingdom, in the first Jurassic World, in the Lost World, in the first Jurassic Park. And is it Dominion as well? Yeah. To come back to the whole awe point, I think the awe of these movies is, is, is gone. It's gone. There's an interesting point in Jurassic World where Trevor kind of 
emphasizes the point that audiences are bored with dinosaurs, the point that you made earlier in our discussions. And it's like any other animal now. We're not given a chance of awe or joy or wonder, whatever you want to call it. Because Trevor even makes you, the audience kind of feel almost guilty about feeling awe. Because these, these creatures have now been downgraded into nothing more than like seeing pigs or cows in a zoo. Until you have Indominus Rex, you have more teeth and more power, whatever. You know, the, kind of this kind of a hybrid dinosaur that never existed is now brought to life. And some somehow as an audience, I'm supposed to care. I, I suppose some people care more than me. I just get turned off immediately when it's anything like that. You mean more teeth or when it's dinosaurs? When, when I do remember that when Jurassic World first one came out, people were were calling in, in throws, they were calling Trevor's point stupid because how on earth can you state that anyone would ever get tired of dinosaurs because they're goddamn dinosaurs? And and look at us here today talking about how the awe factor of dinosaurs is kind of gone. Yeah. For me, it was just always was the problem when you have sort of what I call the fake dinosaurs. I've already talked about it, of course, but it's in Fallen Kingdom where Dr. Wu says something like, these are not real dinosaurs, and Alan Grant is kind of supporting that statement in Jurassic Park 3. He says something like, these are theme park monsters, nothing nothing more, nothing less. So, so the franchise is kind of justifying the use of these fake dinosaurs because they have these these dinosaurs that might have been more valid when the films came out, but now the science has updated itself. We have more information about how these creatures looked like, how they behaved, and this is kind of the way out, I see, for these movies to say that, well, these were not real in the first place, so these are just theme park monsters. But why not just go then the Michael Crichton way? Because this, these novels, they state that the dinosaurs are disturbingly close to the real dinosaurs. And then, you know, you could just keep updating the dinosaur models in the movies, in subsequent sequels, when you get more science updates. But Well, the, the, the easy answer for that one is because nobody actually wants to see those half-bird, half-something dinos. Like, god damn, the, once the dinos started to get feathers thanks to modern science and the way how actually we these days understand how dinos look they at the same time you know they lost a hell of a lot at least in my opinion yeah but the, the lizard dinosaurs are way cooler than than the the feather dinos that we have these days and i do think that that i'm not alone in my opinion so yeah would the, the jurassic movies all of a sudden take a take a turn and start to have more realistic more modern day science updated dinos these, these feather things i would think that you know most people would object to that they kind of have to to stay on the reptile territory is what i'm saying i'm all fine kind of with uh, sticking with the the legacy designs but my biggest problem is that when the films double down and and then they create actual fake dinosaurs they cook in the lab some dino that is a mix of what four or five different species it's basically indestructible indominus rex a dino that never existed so what are we getting out of this as an audience that the audience is even suggested to be bored with dinosaurs 
that are real and, and, and the paying audiences apparently need more teeth as you so eloquently put it before. And, and I swear, I swear that this cannot have been like, unless Colin Trevor is out of his fucking mind, this cannot have been like a meta narrative in the movie about the movie audiences themselves. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to be a meta narrative, but the movie certainly manages to make it an unintended narrative. I think that that was like Trevor's intended meta narrative of the movie. He why very strong. Because it's so bloody obvious, because it's so all over your face that the meta-narrative of basically the film audiences getting tired of dinos, that the original dinos, that the, or the legacy dino design or whatever you have. But basically what you have had in these films constantly is being an attempt to somehow up the stakes by somehow changing the dinos. Every film in this franchise tries to take the T-Rex somehow to the next level. Either by having more T-Rexes or then having somehow bigger T-Rex with bigger teeth and more teeth. But what is the logic behind having that kind of a meta-narrative? Because the problem here was not that audiences were becoming bored of the dinosaurs. I'm sure that the audiences were becoming tired of shitty dinosaur movies well i don't know you you said yourself that you're no longer awestruck by the dinos Be- I, because i said that it's kind of lightning in a bottle you can't start all over again and have the whole feeling of awe oh, when you get off the jeep and you look at the big dinosaurs that you see for the first time it was a first time experience you can't capture that in the sequels yeah and in that same way you know you get tired of dinos. You you don't get that that yeah. cheap moment anymore. So the films try to accommodate this by having you have look. It's it's a dino, but it has even more teeth. And in my opinion, that was what Trevor and that's why Trevor tried to have his meta narrative thing in the first Jurassic World. Yeah, he definitely did that. But my God. These films just get more and more complicated as we as we go on, and I think no, they don't. <laughs> they get they they get just remarkably more simple as we go on. I'm referring to the inherent complexity of the Jurassic World Dominion film. Like it's trying to have so many different plot elements at the same time, it doesn't know what the fuck is it, it's doing anymore. It tries to have some plot elements, yeah, but. It doesn't really attempt to have anything. Except shoving as many cool things to the audience's throat in over two hours as is possible. Well, yeah, but then again, that has been kind of the thing with the franchise. Yeah. Since bloody always. You you were talking about The Lost World and just coming back to The Lost World. I, I kind of miss those days when, you know, you have Steven Spielberg at the helm and at least... The Lost World, it's completely self-aware of how stupid it is. It knows it's going on this forced trajectory, so to speak, into the sequel tropes. I guess it cannot avoid that to a degree. And and Spielberg knows this, uh, that this movie is on a kind of an extended, borrowed time, OT completely. It's like Spielberg saying something like, well, here's your goddamn sequel, but you audience, you will must bear the consequences of me doing this. 
And well, it, if that would be the case with Spielberg, then the, in my opinion, we can raise the question: Why the fuck did Spielberg do it in the first place? Yeah, but that's that's what the film definitely feels like. But what's kind of smart about that film, at least, is that it uses Ian Malcolm as kind of the telegrapher to the audience. That yes, this is retarded. Malcolm is channeling the audience's thoughts throughout the movie. That this is completely stupid. And that's kind of funny, but uh, then further we go into the story, it sort of starts to undermine the whole movie. Like everybody is a fucking idiot around him, and he's just trying to be the audience voice there to confirm that this is crazy. And and the movie then goes ahead with the implausibilities, anyways, all of them. And Malcolm is not able to stop any of it. No one listens to him, and no one listens to the audience. Yeah, and that's why I actually think that Spielberg really did not have this this grandiose stance or this understanment of what he was doing. I actually, the the more and more I think about Lost World, the more I dread the idea and the more confident I'm on the idea that Spielberg thought that what he was doing was really smart and really clever and he was making a film that actually deserved to exist. Well, I don't know. I I think it's a little botched up job. The Lost World, as I understand, the film was put together in a bit of a hurry. The Lost World, the book is it's it's the novel is a bit different to the Lost World, the movie. Yeah, but but if those were would be warning signs that Spielberg mm. would have been aware of and things that. Whereas people would have been aware of the consequences of those warning signs. Mm. I do think that, once again, we, we are talking about Steven Spielberg here. We are talking about a man who can say no to a directing job and still get work in Hollywood. So why would Spielberg all of a sudden say yes if he would know that whatever is going to come out would be just, you know, a flaming garbage fire? Well, it wasn't going exactly to plan. I I understand that the whole mainland part of the film was even kind of an afterthought and pasted in at the last moments. But I I, I don't know. But anyway, that film kind of kind of sucks. But it still has. I think it still has the the best dinos of the franchise up to this day. But Henrik, what what are the different storylines that the franchise is able to handle? We discussed that there's maybe two or three different storylines. Do you want to get into that once more for us? Yeah, I can boil it down for you. Thank you. It's one (laughs) storyline. Yeah. Asshole close dinos in a park-like area and people go into the park-like area because smarts. That's basically the only storyline that these films truly have. The, The one basic premise. The assholes go to the dinosaur island. Or go to the yeah. dinosaurs. Yeah. Repeating endings as well. But maybe a few words about the, the character still. Because I, th- I think the character build-up is a huge weak link in the sequels. In the Jurassic War- World trilogy. You have the legacy characters later on. But we never get like a deeper glimpse into these new characters. Or the fucking legacy characters in Dominion. They're kind of like 1.5 dimensional. We are not given a very good reason to like them very much. Bryce Dallas Howard, maybe not the best choice for one of your leads as far as I'm concerned. 
I think completely miscast in this movie, as well as Chris Pratt, or just the plain writing. I think there's it's it's really hard for the audience to build a connection with the characters. You know, as I already said, Claire, she is more like a one-dimensional character in the beginning. They kind of keep the Claire's comedic and ignorant side through and throughout, at least the first Jurassic World movie. We discussed how the film is kind of making her look bad as a female character in this day and age. Then Chris Pratt's character, it's like a quite simple alpha macho. Heels is the helpless woman in the jungle. I think that Bryce Dallas Howard just screams kind of a villainish quality throughout all of these three films. She just comes off as kind of a morally confusing, uh, pointless character, because they don't beef up the characters. So am I right to assume here that Jurassic World Dominion is the best Jurassic Park sequel ever made because it has less of Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard and you have you have the legacy characters here like um, more than ever before yeah the second half of the movie we follow the legacy characters yeah and no. just every now and then we just jump in to check out whatever Owen huge cock and and lady is doing yeah no Henrik <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> like there's um even though there's like a there's like a huge void between the quality of the legacy characters and the current characters. Even though we bring back these legacy characters, we are not given too much for them to do. There's not any kind of interesting plot developments going on with these characters. For example, Alan Grant. What, what the hell is his purpose in JW Dominion? He has nothing new to learn here. He's just kind of hanging around, helping hey. Ellie Sadler. Well, if, if you ask what, what's his point... In, in Jurassic World the Dom- Dominion, mm. the point is is quite simple. It's nostalgia bait. It is. Just pl- pl- plain and simply. And also perhaps close off the, the character arc that some people, which I've always refused to see in, in Jurassic Park, which would be the love or, or the relationship between Grant and Ellie. I always read that Grant and Ellie were just colleagues and they were not romantically involved. But then again, I've come to understand that that's like a minority opinion and perhaps a wrong reading of that film. And I'm, I'm the one being the idiot here. So in that sense, in, in Dominion, what happens, Grant finally closes that character arc. He and Ellie kiss at the very end of the film, which... If you believe in the rules of filmmaking, that there are certain ways how you should make a movie and tell a story, well, in that case, you know, it's a home run. They only kiss at the end. They could. There is no obstacle for these characters to actually kiss already at the beginning of Dominion, but mm. that would be against the rules. And that might tell you something about the structure of Dominion as a whole, because I had already forgotten that they even have that kiss in the film. There's so much going on at the same time, not really anything at all. Yeah, Dominion basically is is just noise and nothing going on. But then again, that's this entire franchise. It's more like the actor's natural charm that is to their advantage here, even if they don't have really anything to do here. That might actually be the biggest reason why they work pretty well in the movies. 
even in the first one. Maybe it's not about the arc, but they are just kind of likable characters. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't give a shit about the legacy characters. I mean, my my biggest thing with with the whole character discussion is that like if if we would take it from the point that the the sequel sucked because of the new characters well in that case what, what like i said i would present to you jurassic park dominion which has the returning domi- legacy characters to me that frames the franchise like i already stated malcolm returned for a lost world Garrett was there for for the third film and now now you have even more characters from the, from the first film you have dodson that one asshole who shows up to give the aerosol can to Nedry. Mm. And then you also have Boo who keeps repeating in, in all these films. I, I don't believe that there is actually any magic in the legacy characters. They may have good actors. Yeah. Again, Chris Pratt manages to be a funny guy in movies. So I, I don't know if, if he's a bad actor. But I still mm. don't actually feel any spark with the returning legacy characters. I didn't feel a spark in Lost World with Malcolm, really. I did feel it with with Grant in Jurassic Park 3. And now I'm looking at him in in Dominion. I'm like, no feeling at at all. And these films, even like this, they, in true fan service nostalgia paid fashion, they try to use these legacy characters as some type of uh, passing of a torch. The Dominion has the, has the whole whole passing of the torch moment where the legacy characters acknowledge and congratulate the new characters. Owen Alpha Dick has read Grant's book. And Grant, I don't know, has, has once seen the duty roster of the original Jurassic World and knows that Owen is some kind of a dinosaur wrangler. And also Ellie and, and Priceless Howard has the, has the similar moment where they are like, I read your research and and something like that. And both of these moments come off as, as cringy as fuck. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Kind of all the interactions between the new and the legacy characters, they feel kind of cringy as fuck, as you put yeah, it. But, yeah, but but yeah. it's, it's not just the interaction between legacy characters mm. and the new characters, it's also... Basically everything that the legacy characters also do. Like in its nostalgia paid nature, all the legacy characters here serve are, are kinda serve to you on this old timey platter. You you meet in Dominion, you meet Grad at your dick where there's an obnoxious asshole kid. Just like in the first one. And Ellie shows up in Grant's tent like Hammond showed up in his trailer. And random items like the aerosol can that Ned reused in the original to steal the dino embryos, so that you can revel in its almost deatified glory, because it's an item, or now more of a totem, from the original film. Mm. Dodgeon is a major character in Dominion, because he's the only character from the original that has yet not been brought back into the franchise, so that now the Dominion can be built up to be a monument for Dodgeon's awesomeness. In, in doing all of this, that the film, in my opinion, it's, it's completely missing the aerosol can and Dodson's point from the original. The original Dodson and aerosol can are there to portray the folly of man trying to control the bird and their attempts only to be buried in the mud because nature can't be controlled. 
And mm. now Dominic comes up. It it ducks up Dodson. It ducks up the aerosol can. It shines them up to be kind of a testimonial witnesses to everything that has happened in the franchise at large. It tries to create this illusion that the franchise itself as a whole is about something. It carries over these age-old things from the original film to cap off the idea that, you know, the franchise, every installment here is part of some type of a mecha story. And that's kind of a problem because the the characters, they come from so completely different worlds when you compare the Jurassic World world with the Jurassic Park side of the world. And I don't think they actually do. I do think that they come very much from the same world. I don't feel that at all. It's, it's kind of like Spider-Man Homecoming, but gone kind of haywire. Because every time the legacy characters, for example, Ellie in the the train, she tells to the cloned kid who is not a cloned kid, retcon thing, that, oh, I actually knew this character that is related to you somehow. And mm. It's just cringe, cringe, cringe. I, I think it's because... They are just complete from completely different worlds. Jurassic World is the kind of movies where everything is kind of more bigger and explosive. There's more action and more unbelievable escape situations. To give you some kind of a practical example here, in the Jurassic Park, the first one, you have the characters in the park, alone in the jungle, basically without any weapons, anything to really defend themselves against the dinosaurs. It's just their their intelligence, the kind of 65 million years of uh, brain evolution, the humans versus the creatures that are t- trying to eat them out in the park. And, and that's all, that's all. But in films like Jurassic World Dominion, you have some scenes where uh, Velociraptor is following a plane that is about to taxi off and there's you know motorcycle races and way more but you know you get the idea i actually am one of those people who defend the motorcycle chases in in dominion i think that they are perhaps the most interesting part of the movie my contrapoint to the legacy characters ever working here or the problem being that there is two word clashing would be that the legacy characters won't work on their own either the ellie does the the same follow my finger triceratops thing that he did in the first film which is like it's a quiet small moment in dominion it's the same bloody thing that she did already so you would think that if the problem is just like the, the clone kid and Ellie don't work together because they are from different worlds and different types of films. Well, that scene should work. It doesn't. Even that moment is cringy. Even more cringy is that in moment in Dominion when it tries to pass off its, its nostalgia baiting by having some type of a moment of acknowledgement about what it's doing. In the original film, Iron Malcolm's shirt, as we all remember, was three buttons open. So now in Dominion, he fumbles with his buttons only to be to be shut down by the female Han Solo. And the moment there in, in Dominion, him trying to open the legendary third button, 
But that's all meant to show the audiences that the film somehow acknowledges what it what it's doing and to lend it some le- legitness. That moment should kind of, I guess, if if the problem would just be that the legacy characters and new characters are from different worlds, I guess that third button should really do something. It should really like pull your heartstrings and show you that oh my god, we have a good old timey legacy character here doing legacy shit. And that whole scene, like, like Ellie, follow my finger moment also, is just pure cringe. So mm. even even when the legacy characters are doing legacy shit on their own in Dominion, even that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, that's because when you bring in legacy characters or whatever characters, don't just keep repeating the, the same moments, just try to invent something new, please. By the way, but if then you... again, repeating the same moment is... is the only thing that basically these films have done, more or less. Yeah, <laughs> good point. By the way, if you want to see a recreation of that Jeff Goldblum opening his shirt a bit, you just need to go to Ian Malcolm's Instagram page and you can see him recreating that moment there. <laughs> but you were saying at one point in this discussion how Alan Grant was, or Sam Neill was kind of still something in the Jurassic Park part three. But then there are these other characters, for example, the Kirby family. I'd just like to go back to it once more because it, it's some horrible horrible mistakes that I see that they are making with the characters there. The Kirby family, especially. They, I like to go back to the I like fishing scene, which is one of the most egregious examples of this. So one of the worst scenes in the entire franchise. And whenever this family, they open their mouth in this movie, we don't really emphasize as an audience towards them. I, I, I know I don't. It's because they are once again some one-dimensional idiots, are comic relief, and that's about all there is. And perhaps I, I would give a shit about the, his fishing stories if that would have been somehow built up from the beginning Maybe in the beginning of the movie, the family would go fishing, all right. And by the end of this scene, then the kid says, okay, folks, I'm I'm going to head now further into the sea with these weirdos to do this life-threatening parasailing. So see you later on the dino island. If we talk about these kind of egregious characters or who are supposed to be the people who are on the lead positions of this company, Hammond, he might be like selfish and blinded by his ambitions and all that, but at least he was a nuanced character. And then we have every Hammond knockoff that are just pure evil, extremely one-dimensional, except maybe for that discount John Hammond in Fallen Kingdom, that Benjamin... Uh, I, I would say, like, like if, if somebody is an exception from that, it would be Tim Cook of Apple here in Dominion who, yeah, still is is pure evil, but at least he has that whole we be attempted something at it backfired, and I did not account in the thing backfiring me when it comes to in, in relation to his locusts. If, if you take Tim Cook by his word, or Dodson, but, but Dodson basically, what, what he is, much like the same way how I felt that Edward Norton in Glass Onion was a stand-in for Elon Musk and all these tech billionaires. I do feel that Dodson in in Dominion is meant to be a standing for Tim Cook and and Apple CEOs, including his 
not anything like Apple's ring-like headquarters in real life. But if you take take Dorchen by his word, in that case, you know, the locusts were a kind of a, you know, mistake, unintentional. And in that reading, you can kind of say that there is a moment when Dodson realizes the error of his ways when he torches the, the locust farm at the Apple headquarters. Yeah, and okay. of course, then remi- immediately goes and tries to also destroy the hard drives. Like, I- if you want to take the character for uh, by his word, in that case, he wasn't all evil, he just fucked up and then decided to go all evil. But maybe this is a good point to discuss how Dominion is all over the place a little bit more in detail. I I, I argue that Trevorrow doesn't really... Well, in a way, in a box office sense, he does know why people go see Dino movies, apparently. Even though the latest Dominion was an absolute train wreck when it came to the reviews. But I, I go to see Dino movies because it's fun to go see dinos and see people eat and throw in some new moral lessons and philosophical discussions, and that's all. But in Fallen Kingdom, you know, it trenches into these dinosaurs as military weapons. You have the human cloning, which turns out not to be a cloning. I don't know why they retconned that. Abductions. You have dino smuggling, because that was somehow important for Trevor. And we have this Machiavellian Tim Cook character and the low-costs world foods shortage as as the inciting incident. Not dinosaurs. The dinosaurs are just come, some kind of a background noise. But it's like the, the movie is trying to shoot you with everything that it's got, like everything at once. It's kind of trying to overwhelm the audience with the action. But when I want to go to the core of what I would like to see from these movies, it's just... It's about the kind of a primal struggle between humans and the predators. Predator and prey. And that's the spectacle. That's it. That's it. Leave it at that. Just fucking leave it at that. Yeah, I don't know. I've been championing for the unused idea of dino man hybrid soldier thing. (laughs) Basically, ever since I heard of it. And that's kind of what I feel that Dominion is attempting to doing. They they bring the, the dinos as a weapon thing. The original Lost World already did this. It, it found the unused script idea and decided to go with the dinos as as weapons. Point of view. In, in there it was what, that one engine asshole who was like, Oh, can you believe what these things would have done in Torapora? So it tries to play that card without going with, going on with the human hybrid and giving them them guns. And that's also what, what Fallen Kingdom was trying to do. Wait, you know, oh, we've trained the Velociraptor to attack anything that we point with a laser pointer. Point of view that that movie had. And now in, in Dominion, I feel that Trevor, everybody lo- laughed at Fallen Kingdom and then asked that why don't you just use a gun instead of a blazer pointer and a velociraptor. And I guess now in Dominion, Trevor is trying to somehow prove to everybody, mostly I guess to himself, that his idea was not absolutely retarded in the first place. And tries to show that it somehow was legit 
But I, I still do feel that, you know, had the franchise actually followed the whole human hybrid army with firearms thing, then it could have actually been something interesting. Uh, or if if it would go into space in the next installment in this way too long franchise, then that perhaps could be interesting. Perhaps could finally find a new talking point out there in 65 million years in the future on the surface of Mars. Right, that's that's what seems to happen with some of these franchises when they start to run out of ideas what to do on planet Earth. But then again, this franchise ran out of ideas what to do on, on planet Earth in part 2 already. It did, and I'm still a little bit surprised by that, when you have such an interest, interesting point, and what you could do with the dinosaur characters. I, I think you could do a lot more. You just have to change the whole timeline, change the whole, whole circumstances, start fresh, start anew, whether it would be fucking space, but maybe just try to bring back the story to maybe 65 million years ago. Bring up some, again, idiotic idea about a time machine pff, or just some kind of circumstances 65 million years ago somehow. Try to make a story out of it. It's probably an idea that's not going to work with the, you know, the, the popcorn audience right out there. And that's, that's the only problem. I actually don't think that you can do jack shit with these rhinos. Okay. And that's been like my growing problem with Jurassic Park movies since Christ always. I'm just becoming more and more hostile with my approach to Jurassic Park as a franchise. Sequels have existed in Hollywood always. There's, there's always been sequels. You remember when we did The Birth of a Nation? Mm. There was a sequel to it, The Fall of a Nation. The sequels are a really old thing in Hollywood, is what I'm aiming at. And for the longest time, sequels were a dirty world in in Hollywood. If, if you ever watch, like, old Hollywood studio monster films, like, the sequels were so notorious that, that Spielberg himself felt insulted when he was asked to direct Jaws 2. And with Empire Strikes Back and Godfather Part 2s, the sequels slowly became accepted. I asked why Spielberg accepted to direct Jurassic Park 2. And, and the reason for that was that after Coppola, after Empire, Spielberg himself started to, to regret his decision never to actually direct Jaws 2. So he started to make sequels. We started to have see sequels more as a prestige thing. I, I feel that we have started to believe that simply because something is a franchise, the franchises would have an inherent merit, i.e. there would be a time in the lineup of movies when the franchise was good. And I feel that this is the sentiment that which we subconsciously and by implication uphold when we present questions like how did the franchise turn bad? And we can't ask these questions without implying that part of the franchises were really good. Like if everything in the franchise would be dog shit, nothing would be ruined because you can't dog shit a dog shit. And that's where we are with Jurassic Park, in my opinion. It was never a good franchise. Mm. In my opinion, it never had a franchise potential. The first film is a masterpiece. 
I, I think it's a bloody gold standard. But all the sequels following the first one have been rele- released with a diminishing artistic returns, yeah. including Spielberg's own Jurassic Park 2. And I, I do say this as someone who still champions for Jurassic Park 3, which I do believe is a better film than people give it credit to, but still is a sub extremely subpar movie when compared to the original Jurassic Park. And in my opinion, does not in any way actually prove to anyone that Jurassic Park as a franchise would have anything to go on with it. I'm starting to hate more and more Jurassic Park 3. I think it's even <laughs> a bigger void than The Lost World. There's fucking nothing going on in that movie. Fucking nothing. Well, but but there is nothing going on with, with Jurassic Park, the franchise. Yeah. Like, if we talk about, like, what is the main problem of Jurassic Park? I, I think it's in the title, Jurassic Park. It, it's the park, which makes it so that no film can ever actually leave the park. Trevor tries to, to somehow change it. He, he, he titles his movies Jurassic Works. But as we've seen, it's just like more park-like areas. Dominion is the first film where you can have the dinos actually interacting with the, the real world. And I'm not counting in the kaiju ending of Lost World here. That yeah. was that was bullshit. Trevor, at least, in Dominion, he lets the dinos to be part of the surrounding world, our world, the, the world outside of the park. It lasts for fucking 15 minutes, and it has no changes in how we humans actually act. We keep doing the same bullshit, going into drive-in movie theaters and releasing pigeons at our weddings. We act like the dinos wouldn't really be here. So that change, that opening, is is meaningless. Yeah. There is no word in Jurassic World Dominion. It once again, it's more, just more parks. We go yeah. into a different park. Yeah, I really want to go into the into this thought further, because Trevorrow he kept saying that he's interested in exploring the coexistence of <laughs> dinosaurs and humans and how that would look like. But then, as he as you said, there's the pteranodons eating a wedding pigeon, and that how the credit sequence of Battle at the Big Rock might be the, the kind of the biggest indication of or an example of how that coexistence might go. Because otherwise there's not really anything in, in intelligent, in my opinion, in that regard shown. Yeah. To go with that point, now the dinos are free, as you said. Now, are they free or are they kind of location-specific, location-locked? Did anything change now that they are quote-unquote free? Because this is a discussion point that we had in the previous episode and uh, we were whining on about how they are always going back to the fucking island. Now they're not on the island. What changed, in your opinion? Can you share anything on that? In my opinion, nothing. Absolutely nothing. You you mentioned Battle at Big Rock. It's a short movie that takes place in a park. And in, in Dominion... The dinos are, yeah, they are raging in Malta, but they show up in Malta after they escape from the, the weird underground smuggler hideout ring place. So they ain't really 
in Malta. They are accidentally in Malta because they managed to get loose. And that's it. And the second half of the movie is, is just a new park. This time it's a, just like in the original one. It's once again a park where you have to fly into. The first one they have a helicopter ride. Now uh, Owen mo- motorcycle guy flies with the female hand solo into the park. The, the big difference I guess is that this time the park also is some type of a Noah's Ark. They can leave leave the ark and venture into this new promised land where they can now be free. So basically they are given a new park once again. So in my opinion, nothing changed. At, at any point, the dinos did not change the world. The dinos never got free. There's just a bunch of things happening throughout this movie. And by the end of the film, it's still the same thing. Like, what what did we learn from all of this? Well, we still are trying to coexist with the dinosaurs. And that's where we leave that. Yeah, but that coexistence in the first place. It, you, you are shown the pterodactyl eating the two birds at the wedding. And there is a quick mentioning that, what, 63 people have died in a vehicular accident involving dinos. Thousands of people die yearly in vehicular accidents. So it, it's not even 1%. So it, it wants to claim that we coexist with the dinos, but our coexistence is, is so little and so limited in, in dominion that, it, in my opinion, it does not count. We don't coexist with dinos. And in a story sense, we have already tried to coexist with the fucking dinos. The only difference with the older movies is that there is a way out from the dino land. But essentially, like you said, kind of nothing changed. We are surrounded by dinos in all of the movies, and uh, it's the same thing. Yeah, it is. And in my opinion, it's like, like you have been asking what, what, what does... The film say what does dominion say why is the dominion's message in my opinion it's it's basically it's the, the same message that we have had throughout the franchise it's be, to do harken back into this never worked as a franchise the first full movie statement the main major point was that life finds a way and also that Malcolm presents the idea that there are unforeseen consequences to your actions. And because of that, you shouldn't act carelessly. But they are reproducing on their own. And in the last word, the main point, Hammond has a major statement. Life finds a way. Jurassic Park 3, it's once again Grant's turn to be like, life finds a way. Okay, Jurassic World was nostalgia bait and, and how the first film was legit. And an attempt at a meta point, but it didn't go far enough, in my opinion. Fallen Kingdom was, was alive, finds a way, because stupid clone kids are alive too. And here, Dominion, it's life finds a way, because virgin birth, and because the dinos have found a way how to reproduce through virgin birth. So, life finds a way, almost every single movie is about life finding a way. They're alive, just like me. Yeah, which is like a, one of the stupidest endings that you have can have for a movie. I really hated the kid there and thought that she should have been strangled. But because she's a franchise character here, she's being brought back again 
and she makes stupid decisions and mistakes again. Basically the only father that we can get out of the clone kid, outside of her increasingly obnoxious British accent, would be that she works as a foil for... Trevor's really weird. I don't know if it's moms or... Or hatred for moms or just hatred for women in general. Hmm. But that really spiteful mom fetish that Trevor has. Yeah, we discussed that in the previous one as well. You were kind of touching on the the moral questions, etc. of these films. And maybe we can expand on that to ask what are the questions, problems the movies pose. We already discussed it in a bit, but Jurassic Park... There's a couple of questions, but the overarching is that is Dinosaur Park a good idea? That's what it's exploring. Answer is no. And then the last world kind of goes the same way. Is a dinosaur park on mainland a good idea? Answer, still no. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing with this franchise. The the whole bad guy idea always hinges upon the idea of nobody ever learning Hammer's lesson. With Hammond, you can be kind of forgiving. He, he was the pioneer. But like you pointed out, Lost World, asshole tries to open a park now on mainland. Yeah. And it goes tits up. Uh, Jurassic Park 3. Is it a good idea to go paragliding around a dinosaur park? Turns out no. Lost World, an asshole made a dinosaur park. It went tits up. Fallen Kingdom, yeah. let's bring dinos to the mainland and something about weapon tech. It went tits up. And now Dominion. Should we have an Apple headquarters where we have dinosaurs? Turns out, no. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Like Jurassic Park 3. In my opinion, the film is not asking anything at all. Except for the paragliding, of course. Or maybe, should the dinosaurs eat the Kirby family? And the answer is yes. But beyond that, uh, Jurassic World is essentially the same thing. Is a dinosaur park a good idea? Yeah, still answer is no. And... Jurassic World 2, hey, I, I guess there's something there, like, should we save endangered species, or should we just let them die, and answer is let them die. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's kind of like, Dominion at the end of the day, it tries to argue that no, you should let them live, because they can coexist with, with us and our existence. Just like me. Our, with our species. As we have seen... Coexistence is possible, but it's not easy. And in here, at the end of the day, we have Dominion stating that Triceratopses can can walk with the elephants, and, and horses can run with with those 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 other dinos. So, so the peaceful coexistence is entirely possible, and there is no harm, no effect whatsoever at the ecosystem at large. This was again a good reminder, a good point. Why, even though Hammond in the first film was a damn as fucking pile of rocks, the dude who spares no expense when it comes to having 150 different flavors of ice cream, but when it comes to actually, you know, having security measures for your goddamn T-Rexes and Velociraptors, well, that's where you can just underpay one fat guy to do all the work. Like, granted, yeah. Hammond was never a smart guy. He was an idiot with too much money at his hands. But even he was smart enough to know that you have to keep your clone dinos at a closed area 
be that a park where if they cause an eco-catastrophe, it's going to be limited into that one one island. But that's kind of, in my opinion, like if we, we have been talking about about Dominion's points and, and the franchise's points. Mm-hmm. <sighs> to tackle on with, with, to ask if, if Dominion has an identity, because an individual movie should have an identity. Dominion's identity is in it being a true franchise film. Like like ever, any true franchise movie, Dominion's identity in its act of borrowing. Borrows elements from previous Jurassic Park and Jurassic World films, and it's soul also from the other Jurassic films, and also other notable franchises. It, it fills itself with, with the Malta sequence, when it turns into Mission Impossible movie all of a sudden. <laughs> and then, then you have the Jason Bourne-esque, jumping from rooftop through a balcony, borrows from Star Wars, Retroletter Media made a good video where they actually compared shots from the original Star Wars t- trilogy and Dominion, and came into a conclusion that the female Han Solo is precisely female Han Solo, and taken at times almost shot for shot from Star Wars. Dominion borrows from Taken. Here, here so many goddamn things get taken that you lose the track. Yeah. O- Owen, o- Owen Alpha Beast runs from moment to moment to see things being taken. If there was so many, much taken here that I, I actually, I'm still confused. I keep somehow having a memory that Liam Neeson shows up to, in, in the film to have sub, a bloody cell phone scene, but it borrows from Fast and Furious. It borrows from individual movies like Source Code. In, in all of this, in all of this action, it, it, in my opinion, it tries to create kind of a barter economy with the audience. It offers you dinos, so you let it run free with the spirit taken from other movies. In, in the same way how Dominion tries to sell you the idea that the Gigantosaurus and the T-Rex has this epic rivalry that spans over 65 million years. The director's cut, the extended cut, whatever you want to call it, opens up with this full CGI opening about prehistoric times where the Gigantosaurus and T-Rex fight. It's completely pointless, but it's there to set up the idea that these beasts fought 65 million years ago, and then they have the conclusion match at the end end of the film. So it much like it, it tries to sell you that that these two dinosaurs has the rivalry. The film tries to sell you the idea that the franchise has a place in the grandiose tale that spans over decades and includes all the Jurassic movies. Yeah, I co- kind of feel that that it, they both are kind of hollow claims. Yeah, that makes sense that there is similarities to Star Wars because Colin Trevorrow was famously supposed to direct The Last Jedi. Yeah, unfortunately he directed Book of Henry first and made the whole studio panic and he got kicked out of the Star Wars project. <laughs> All right, quickie section. The performance pedestal or who would you recommend or not recommend as an actor in the film? Raise and praise or barbecue one actor. Go ahead. I would 
sum up three le- returning legacy characters as one character who plays confused old guy. Doesn't know what the hell is going on, why the hell he is here. <laughs> yeah, okay. Gonna get that feeling from those performances sometimes. But I guess bleh, 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 Sam Neill, Alan Grant, or Jeff Goldblum, Ian Malcolm. Those are kind of the anchors of these movies for me, even even when the movies are terrible. Just look at Jurassic Park 3, you know. If you're looking for anything there, then there's there's the Dinosaur Man. What worked, Henrik? In my opinion, nothing. Yeah. Um, what worked was that I made the right decision not to go watch this film in theaters. I ne- never had an intention to do Amen. so. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Money well saved. Oh, God. Well, some of those dinos looked cool, I guess. But What didn't work? The idea of Jurassic Park as a franchise does not work. To do once again harken back into into stuff or taken from the first film in order to sell it, sell you the idea that there's a legitimacy with the film. Grant shows up in, at, at the dig site and has a speech how the stones have a voice and it means nothing. Ian Malcolm gets a standing ovation for a TED talk in which he says nothing except unforeseen consequences, which is his message for the first one. Hmm. Given the director says, what, what would I change, if anything? I would change the attempt to actually have a franchise in the first place. What's remarkable in Dominion is exactly how little it says. And that's the problem of the franchise also. Like Dominion, this franchise, it it conveys you the idea. It alludes into a lot of things. But it never makes a statement. Yeah. And if if I would change something, perhaps that, I would force a movie to actually finally have a statement. The first one has statements. It has discussions. Mm. It has thoughts. And none of the sequels have that. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. What really didn't work was kind of like you said it, like a, like a clear direction. What are we waiting for? Where are we going here? What are the questions? What is the philosophy? What are the moral questions? What do you want to solve? What what are the character arcs? Uh, what are the purposes of different characters in this film? What are we doing with the dinos? What what is our focus? Where are we going? That's what I'm asking here. And no 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 answers. It's the same situation as in the beginning of the film. We're trying to learn with learn to live with the dinosaurs. We don't really get even good examples of how to get along with the dinosaurs. Even though I thought that was the kind of the point of the film, but whatevs hand that that was something that didn't work like trying to put off the dinosaurs with the magic of your hand i was just waiting for that moment like oh god actually when i started watching jurassic world dominion i was specifically wishing that we would not see the hand stuff anymore in this film it, it kind of made made sense in in the first film when mm. he had been training those those specific dinos from from birth and and you could kind of say that that's that's his his dino wrangling style that's something that he teaches them ever since they are newborns but yeah now, now in, in dominion it's a it's a magic trick that just works on all the dinos all the time and everybody else can do it um, like really, I, I hope I will never actually see another film where there's where there's that hand stuff. 
Yeah. Well, it was like in less than five minutes, I believe, at least in the shorter, the theatrical version of this film, where Chris Pratt starts already with the hand thing when apparently he's some kind of a animal wrangler trying to... I, I didn't even... I think this movie doesn't even explain what the hell he's doing with the animals in the beginning moments of the film. So I'm looking at this guy and I think he's just doing some stupid sports with the animals. It begins like some kind of a western film, like trying to control these animals. And I don't know what the hell he's doing, but apparently he is trying to move, kind of migrating the animals. Yeah, in, in, into an undisclosed location so that you can't actually figure it out if it actually works or if his plan is just dumb as shit. Yeah, dinosaurs that are big as like three-story buildings and apparently he's going to somehow move them for thousands of miles somewhere else suppose yeah in, in, into this uh, secret anonymous location where they most definitely are protected and and there's food and, and stuff like that yeah i mean this film would have been actually exciting if it would have taken some serious risks like finally blue eating the hand of of chris pratt in this film or Bryce Dallas Howard getting killed by by this uh, what's this venom spitting dinosaur? I think that would have given some edge for this film. But then again, you do have blue in in slow mo dodging bullets. <laughs> <sighs> Describe the film in one word. Pointless. Shit. Absolutely pointless. Shit. Will this film survive the test of time? I hope not. Yeah. I don't see that happening. Complete the sentence. You really know you're watching Jurassic World Dominion or the franchise when... I'm already actually starting to forget what happens in the film. Yeah, I that's... saw it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I already kind of like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, you, you know it when it leaves your near memory in T minus one day. Yeah, well, you really know you're watching Jurassic World Dominion when you... When you stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you had patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now, bam, you're selling it. Sell, sell it. <laughs> That's dominion for you. Well put. Did you like the film? <laughs> no. <laughs> Fuck no. I need an English bath after this. Would you rewatch this film? No. I'm actually dreading the, the chance to ever, ever actually watching Dominion again. Yeah, no, no, no. Would you recommend the film? Well, I've been cursing the Dominion's nostalgia paid nature. I've been cursing how the, the entire franchise here. I already, I started in the previous episode that we did about Jurassic Parks. And like I said, I'm growing just more and more tired, just more and more venomous with my <laughs> approach to the Jurassic Park as a franchise. The true irony, like the Jurassic Park Dominion, it, it has that NBC Olympic spot marketing mo vi a short video, which you can see in YouTube. I don't know if you checked it out, but has like bunch of athletes doing doing some sport shit and then, and then the dinos appear and they just look at the dinos and dinos look at the athletes and Jesus Christ. But in my opinion, actually, the NPC Olympic spot is the true metaphor for Jurassic World Dominion. It, it tries to give you this impression of human excellency to make you be awestruck 
by the skill and the determination of the athletes. Just like Dominion tries to sell you an impression of being a good movie and for you to be awestruck by Trevor's skill and vision as a filmmaker. The problem with the NPC spot is that the green screen is so fake and the CGI is so bad that you just feel embarrassed watching it when you see the fakeness of it all in the NPC spot. And all Dominion Mages to do is make you feel embarrassed as it, as it proves you how it's a fake movie from a bad director. So no recommendation. In fact, no recommendation for this franchise. Yeah. Go ahead and check the first Jurassic Park. Leave it at that. Yeah, watch the first one. If you're looking yeah. for some kind of more advanced effects with the Spielberg quality, then okay, check out Lost World. Watch E.T. Watch E.T. <laughs> <laughs> Put the films in order of preference for the final time. I, I don't remember what my prefer, uh, list of preference was Doesn't last matter. time. And I don't really remember the previous installments that well because I haven't actually rewatched them since our last episode. But to go from a recollection, well, the first one obviously, then the third one. Uh, I guess Lost World. Maybe Jurassic World, followed by Fallen Kingdom and Dominion as the last one. Fallen Kingdom at least had a had a fun, spooky mansion dino crisis, <laughs> horror movie villain something something Velociraptor thing going on in it. I I I liked that. Yeah, I'm on a similar list. Something like first Jurassic Park and then Lost World and actually I'll. Let's just put Jurassic World here, and then Jurassic Park 3, and then Fallen Kingdom, and as the last one, the Dominion. Well, that was a miserable experience with a miserable franchise. Yeah, I, I, I think we have beaten the dead horse enough here. <laughs> yeah, but don't, don't worry, dear listener. I'm certain that like the, the rich assholes in Jurassic Park, the rich assholes at helm of Hollywood Studios... Fail to learn anything, and they most definitely are not ready to to quit beating this dead horse. So I I guess there will be a Jurassic Park sequel at some point. I already vomited in my mouth thinking yeah. about the possibilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we don't have to. This is the third episode about about Jurassic Park, and there was barely enough material for two episodes. So. Yeah, this, this is where I draw the line. Last time, I, I, if memory serves me correct, I did state that I will see Dominion out of like, yeah, obligation did. towards the lab. But this is where I draw the line. Yeah, I, I refuse to watch this next, the, the next Jurassic Park sequel whenever it, it comes out. Yup, yup, yup. This is it. I'm happy that we did this kind of an episode that kind of still goes through the entire franchise and we and we have this kind of a different discussion just putting out the question of what happened here and i i thought it was still interesting to coalesce everything but dear listener would you somehow recommend jurassic world dominion or any of the sequels well let us know in our and more specifically why would you recommend dominion yeah let us know if you dare if you think this content was 
valuable to you, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts or just share this episode with a friend of yours who might also be interested in in this similar kind of a <laughs> material. In the next episode, shall we go and visit some Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible 1, 2, 3? Well, why not, seeing how we have already checked out Mission Impossible with dinos? <laughs> and why 1, 2, 3? Because we believe there might be the most going on in the beginning of the franchise here. Like how it all started, how it went, as the popular opinion at least goes, awry. How the right opinion goes there. How the franchise went awry, according to Henrik, and we can have a discussion on that because we have some differing opinions, apparently. And then how... Apparently somebody has wrong opinions. (laughs) And then how it became the product that it essentially is today from the part three onwards. Product being the magic word. Yeah. Dear listener, thank you for joining us. It was very, very kind of you to tune in. See you in your nightmares. Until then. Bam, you're selling it. You're selling it. <laughs>